0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we're going to start in verse 20. We are continuing this week in our series, it's called Our Story Begins, and uh, we are going through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and um, kind of a big thousand mile view of what we're doing. The Bible is first and foremost God's story, Uh, but by his mercy and grace, he has allowed us to be a part of it. That's why we're comfortable saying that this is also our story. Uh, When someone asks you, hey, what's your story? Uh, We normally think about our own lives, maybe even um, a few generations of our family, where they came from and uh, how how that's led to where we are today. Uh, Our hope through this series is that we will think much farther back, uh, that we will see that no matter who we are or uh, where we think we came from, uh, the history of our heritage traces back to the same place. Uh, Humanity is really one people. And we share the same answers to the four big questions of our existence. What are those questions? The first is origin, where did we come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, what should we do? And destiny, where are we headed? These are the four big questions that philosophers and to some degree scientists, the poets, these are the things we're all musing about, trying to figure out. uh, These are the big life questions. Now, because God is the creator of all, uh, we ultimately come from the same place. We should have the same purpose. We should be governed by the same moral code, which, by the way, is summarized as loving God and loving people, Uh, and we will all stand before him on that great and glorious day. That's our destiny. Uh, Because God has poured upon us undeserved favor, your story is my story. And my story is your story, and God has let us be a part of his story. And this is the big idea behind this sermon series. So we're going to read Genesis uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 31, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us, okay? Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth. In the open expanse of the heavens, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves. Uh, So now we know where Nessie came from, so that's good. Uh, With which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Praise God for his word. Uh, These verses give us an account of the creation of biological life. Last week, we saw God kind of started with the landscaping, got the environment ready for life. And now we see biological life come on the scene. Uh, The birds, the fish, the mammals, and lastly, humans. Uh, What someone believes about the origin of life is perhaps one of the biggest factors that shapes their worldview. Now, tragically, there are many today who question the reliability of this account that we just read. Uh, Every religion or school of thought seeks to answer the question of origins. Where did we and everything else on this planet come from. Uh, In modern times, it has become increasingly prevalent for people to believe that life and the environment we have here on Earth that sustains it were not created but simply happened. The thinking goes that natural processes uh, over long amounts of time, along with some cosmic luck, has led to the diversity of life we observe in our world today and the little blue planet that happens to sustain it. Uh, The most popular theory is that there was an explosion that started the universe, and from that explosion, different elements coalesced into stars and planets and galaxies, and we kind of won the cosmic lottery here on Earth. Uh, All the right factors came into play. Uh, That theory continues from there. Uh, Amino acids formed into proteins, and that formed into cells, and over time, those cells evolved into the incredible diversity of biological life that we observe on earth today. And there are many who believe it is archaic superstition to attribute life to a creator and almost act as if someone who believes the biblical account of creation should be pitied as a simpleton or opposed even as a dangerous fool. There's some people that go that far. My hope today is that we can think together and really stretch our minds to assess What is most reasonable to believe about these things? Uh, I use the word believe intentionally because uh, Michael J. Fox doesn't actually have a DeLorean that we can go back in time and see how these things happened. And so whether you believe the biblical account or whether you believe in things that other people have said, you are operating on belief. Now, some people aren't happy with that or willing to admit that, but that really is the truth because we can't go back and verify for sure empirically. Um, Belief can and should be based on evidence. We should say that. But any notion that these things we're talking about can be proven one way or the other using the scientific method is an overreach. Now, there are people that think it can, but really you can't because uh, real science is based on observation and uh, as of now, we don't have a time machine. So who knows? Maybe someone will come up with that. Um, it is very unfortunate that some have framed these things as a de- debate between religion and science. Uh, someone doing good science is looking for truth the same way a person of faith should be seeking for truth. We're really doing the same thing. Uh, faith and science are not enemies. We can't make, let people frame it that way or make us believe that. There are many who see science as exploring and discovering details of the world God made. Uh, you may have encountered someone or a video on YouTube telling you that you can either believe what the Bible says or believe what science teaches. It's an either or, and that's not fair. It, it's very narrow, and this narrow view it, it does not account for many brilliant people in the scientific fields who see no conflict between their work as scientists and their faith uh, as followers of Jesus. And you don't have to be a scientist per se to be well-read, understand how things work, um, and be able to uh, agree with much of what we've learned from science, uh, but also see the Bible as true. Those don't have to be in conflict. Some people act like they do, and uh, we shouldn't uh, let that stand. We definitely shouldn't believe it. Now, it's important for us that we don't make enemies out of people who don't believe what Genesis 1 says about God creating all that exists. And it's Listen, it's easy to fall into that trap, especially when those who believe, when it's real hard sometimes to feel nice about somebody that believes you have to be kind of dumb to believe what you believe, right? That kind of just feels personal right off the jump. It doesn't feel good. Um, There are those who see people that trust the Bible as enemies and They don't have a whole lot of nice things to say about those of us that believe. Uh, Sometimes they'll go so far as to accuse us of mental illness. That's the only way you could believe this fairy tale that Genesis lays out. Um, But we need to make sure we don't let the real enemy get us into a combative posture with people that don't believe what Genesis 1 says about creation. Uh, We don't need to take that personally. We don't have to jump to God's defense in in a defensive way. Um, that's not what he would want us to do, uh, and it doesn't help us reach the ultimate goal. Romans 12, 18 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So far as it has to do with you, be at peace with all men. Now, does that mean everybody's going to be trying to be peaceful with you? No, right? Oftentimes they're not. But on your end, the bridge of peace should be down and you should be looking to find uh, common ground and looking to uh, be a peacemaker. Jesus said those people are blessed. So this means we must love those who hate us and be patient with anybody that struggles with doubts. Um, something that will help us not to get caught in that trap of being offended or feeling defensive about our faith or our God is we get understand there's a lot of different motivations that lead people to trust and believe in random chaos Overordered creation. Sometimes it, it's helpful for you to try to come uh, out of your own perspective and put on someone else's shoes and understand. It's it's very you know typically what Satan wants people to do is dehumanize the other person, uh, draw a caricature of them in your mind, and basically get to the point where there's no nuance. This person's just bad, and uh, they want they want them to do the same thing about you, so that there's no way we're going to have any kind of constructive relationship building or conversation. Uh, and we we can't let we can't let the enemy succeed at division and so we got to think about the fact that a lot of people are coming from different motivations because you you could be saying well as much as someone may scoff or at, at a Christian believing the Bible, sometimes there's Christians that will scoff back that well how could you believe in random chaos and look at the mathematical probabilities and do you really understand what you're saying? This is nonsense, right so that, that divisive and um, combative posture is not helpful. We, we understand sometimes people are in that place of rejecting what the Bible says and embracing this idea of just naturalistic, chaotic uh, assembly of all that exists. Sometimes that comes out of a place of really deep pain. Sometimes people have a hard time squaring uh, an idea of an all-powerful, really good God and all the pain that they have suffered through or experienced or seen other people experience, and so that leads them to the conclusion then that the God described in Genesis and the rest of the scriptures must not be uh, the, the answer to where we came from. Uh, now, if, if they would talk to somebody that loves the Lord, has a Bible in their hand, and is willing to spend some time with them, they could come to a place of understanding that their pain uh, and the fact that they've had struggle in this life does not mean God is not good or that he is not perfect or that he is not for them. Uh, or the other inference being that he's not powerful. Uh, sometimes people, sometimes people's motivation is they've just been shamed into believing that. There are certain people that go into, say, academic settings, uh, maybe they start college, they may have a vibrant or semi-vibrant faith, they trust the Lord, uh, they believe what they were taught as a child, but then they, they, they may come into an environment where to believe that, they're being stigmatized, they're being uh, hurled upon with insults, uh, and maybe basically backed into a corner. And, and sometimes I think people out of shame just kind of shrink back from that and aren't willing to uh, tell people that seem much smarter than them that uh, they disagree. And so sometimes people get boxed in in this way that it wasn't something they were seeking after. They weren't. They didn't necessarily have animosity towards the Lord or his people. They just got stuck in a corner. Um, and we should have compassion for somebody like that, uh, either of the two people we've described thus far. Uh, and the motivations that could lead to a more naturalistic uh, viewpoint. Uh, the, the third thing we have to understand is, and, and this is true of the other two, but it's it just kind of as a broad junk drawer. Uh, we we got to remember, man, that there's a deceiver, and people are deceived. Uh, people don't know the truth, and so we can't be angry with people about that. And we need to also be humble enough to realize that. Even today, as we stand here, those of us who have put faith in the finished work of Christ, our eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel, we still struggle with, in varying degrees, with things that we're deceived about. We're still being uh, enlightened and set free from our own sins and struggles, are we not? Or did everyone else in here reach perfection already, and I just missed the bus? I didn't get on the perfect bus? Was that? Okay. So, no, we're all still working through this stuff, and so a humble assessment of ourselves will help us to be compassionate on the person that... um, is deceived about all the way at the beginning. They've, for whatever reason, bought into the lie that it makes more sense that all of this just kind of assembled, uh, including biological life, than the alternative, which is that it has a creator. Um, One one example of of sometimes how that deception works and can become kind of systematic, in the 60s there was an experiment done uh, by two scientists named Miller and Urey, and uh, what they did is they put, <clears throat> they put some chemicals into a beaker that they said basically mocked the uh, conditions of the early earth, right? So they put some stuff in there, and this is supposedly kind of the primordial ooze that the earth would have been at the beginning, right? Kind of like the stuff that made the Ninja Turtles ninjas. Um, something like that, right? Kind of this uh, crucible for life. And so you've got this chemical soup, and they shot some uh, electricity through it to simulate lightning, and uh, what they got was some amino acids uh, beginning to assemble into, into proteins, and we're talking the very basic building blocks of what could then lead to life, and uh, not, you know, we didn't have a living cell come out of this, it was just some some of the building blocks that, that could have, if many other things happened, become a living organism. And this experiment was touted in textbooks up until 1995, uh, and it it wasn't... It was in the 70s or 80s when they figured out. First of all, this this doesn't really support uh, macroevolution like we think it does. But secondly, the issue is that uh, that chemical composition they were using, they come to find out, based on new science, that probably had very little to do with reflecting how the early Earth really was. So the point is, science textbooks for 30 plus years, almost 40 years. Uh, We're showing kids in school, hey, look at this experiment that happened right here. And this points to the fact that if you know some lightning shot some stuff billions of years ago, that this could have led to life out of nothing. Uh, You know, come to find out that's not true. So people are deceived for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's the fact that uh, there are dark forces in the world. Uh, And sometimes it's just flat out. People don't like the idea of a God that can tell them what to do. That is it. Sometimes, and when I was a younger man, I think I probably boxed everybody in that. I just assumed, okay, well, if you if you're in in the camp of being a atheistic evolutionist, well, then you just you just hate God, and you don't. And that's not really true. That's not fair. We need to be more nuanced than that, and understand that people are coming from a whole variety of different places, and so. Uh, so what do we do? Then how do, how do we figure that out? Well, we're going to we're gonna have to do that thing we talk about, which is get to know people and ask them questions and listen to their responses and engage with them where they're at, as opposed to just bringing out our bazooka of canned answers and blasting people with it, right? That doesn't work, okay? Um, and, and here's why I, I say all of that. I would summarize that with this. We don't want to defeat an atheist we may be talking to. We want to win them for Christ. We're not trying to defeat anybody. We're trying to win them for Christ, and that is not going to happen ever if you don't love them. If you don't care for them, and that's not the motivation for why you're going at that conversation, if it's about your pride and being right and shutting somebody down, just please close your mouth and walk away, and go pray and ask God to help your motive, and then hopefully you can come back and do something that'll matter for eternity. Amen? There are a thousand different things we could talk about in a discussion of the reasonableness or evidence that points to this world and its inhabitants being created versus rising due to chaos and random chance. There's so many things we could talk about. But since these verses today that we read focus in on all um, of the biological life that God created, let's just focus in on that together. Evidence from... Biology or life that points to uh, the reality of a creator. Uh, The prevailing theory that has been put forth to answer the origins of life is known as uh, evolution, and most of you probably heard that, and that can be a confusing term, and if you know this, forgive me, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page uh, because some people may not be aware. So if you're a science nerd like me, just nod your head and be happy. I'm using science terms, and we'll all be happy, and hallelujah, we can nerd out, Okay. So the reason why evolution can be a confusing term is there there needs to be a distinction made because there is an observable ability within um, humans and animals for us to adapt. We can change, we can uh, modify certain things within our kind or species to adapt to our environments, okay? So uh, that would be Darwin's finches, right? Some had longer beaks, some had shorter beaks. God has put the ability for us to, <clears throat> you know, over several generations, people's skin tone can darken if their family moved towards uh, the equator. You understand what I'm saying? There's, there's an ability, God's built in within uh, his creation, the ability to adapt to different environments, uh, just further evidence of his genius, I would say. But that's an example of micro-evolution. So what that means is, we, and we, we can observe that this is true, within certain species, there can be incremental small changes that are adaptations to environment, Animals can change within their kind. What's different than that, what's different than microevolution is something called macroevolution. And that's kind of like the amoeba to man idea where uh, in a way that we've never observed, and many would say, well, you just haven't been around long enough, but man, we've been around looking at stuff for a while. We don't see, for example, uh, you know, whales sprouting legs and just rolling up on land. We don't see... uh, Lizards becoming birds and vice versa, and, and this, is what, this is what would have had to have happened if what we started with all the way back at the beginning, you understand, if there was no life and there's no God, what do we got? We got some natural bits and pieces. We may have some lightning going on. I don't know, right? Maybe some star explosions, whatever. I don't care what it is. Bring asteroids in, all of it. You can have all of that in billions of years, but what you got to believe is something happened and we took this jump from there being no Biological life to life. And that's a real problem because the, 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 ch- the, the chances of the amino acids and the proteins lining up in, in such a way that you could even have the right sequence to have the first single celled organism is 1 in 10 to the 23rd power. Okay? That's an inconceivable number. You can't, any mathematician would tell you that's zero. It's, the chances are, that number means that's not even a viable option. And, and many, uh, there's, there's many scientists whose names you probably know. They're in the news a lot, uh, famous for kind of tearing down God's word and or promoting a naturalistic explanation of origins. Uh, now what they've shifted to is they understand the problem of that staggering probability. What they've now done is said, okay, well, probably what, what the deal is, there's probably multiple universes, right? Like Stargate SG-1 type stuff, like because that's how you fix the numbers, right? If there's an infinite amount of universes, then one of the universes would have got lucky, and that changes the numbers, you understand? So that's that's where we're at. And there's models that look like bubble machines of how universes came to be. It's like, uh, it's amazing. So anyways, um, the evolution, so, so when people say, yeah, obviously, you know, maybe one of the, the strongest examples would be like breeding within... Uh, Dogs, right? Dogs as a kind. We, we see that you can breed different dogs. You can get big dogs, which are useful, and then you get those tiny little dogs, which I don't know what those are for, but, you know, you, you, can, breed, you can breed dogs and you, for different traits and get different stuff, right? So, um, obviously, there can be change within a kind, um, and that's the difference between macro and, and micro uh, evolution. So when somebody just says, "Oh, you're stupid. You don't believe in evolution. You don't you think animals can change?" Well, yeah, I, I do, but we got to talk more about it because there's a there's a difference. That doesn't mean I believe lightning hits some primordial, primordial ooze and, and there was an amoeba that swam around long enough that it became a polywog. And then of course I'm that's that's kind of a caricature of evolutionary theory. But I mean, ultimately, that's what you got to believe. This this thing just happened on its own. That's really tough to buy. In 2011, it was estimated. 2011, that there were 8.7 million species on the planet. That's a lot of different species, all coming from one single origin. But here's the real kicker in 2017, the University of Arizona estimated there could be 2 billion different species, including microbes, on our planet. And, And the first thing I just want to point out to you is that this should humble us a bit, that in just six years, from 2011 to 2017, we realized our best guesses about how many species there were on the planet was off by maybe 190 billion. Shh, maybe we should sit down, you know, and just chill out a bit. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really trying to be a smart about it, like that's real. You know, we, we, we probably know a lot less than we know, but every generation thinks they've figured it all out, and um, we, we, should, we should be more humble. Uh, the Bible says God created according to different kinds, and uh, we can observe in nature that God has equipped his creation with the ability to adapt to their environment. Uh, as I was saying before, it makes sense that all the dog species probably did descend from a common ancestor that looked like a wolf. That's, uh, that's our guess. Um, and we can even observe the ability for those dogs to be bred for those different traits. But my question, friends, I'm being serious here, is do we have any observable evidence over the thousands of years, and that's true, thousands of years that people have been breeding dogs for certain traits, that if we just kept going long enough, one day we'd have a dog give birth to a cat. Have you ever seen anything in your life that suggests that if we, if we just keep trying, we keep mixing and matching, eventually what we'll get is a cat to come from that dog? It, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's what you had to. You have to believe that that happened. Literally, a billion times, right? In order for all of these species to have split off each other and us to end up with the biodiversity we have on this planet right now, are you tracking with me on this? It's not. It doesn't make sense, and it's it's confusing that (laughs) um, folks that believe that sometimes will will call us stupid. It's just interesting. let, let's, let's just step back from Genesis for just a moment and ask this honest question. Does it seem more reasonable that potentially 2 billion species evolved from one single-celled organism or that something created life with diversity built in? Maybe somebody, because of pain or shame or personal experience, the God of the Bible, they can't, they, they can't do that. They can't take that whole thing. But let's just, let's just let's put that down for just a second. We're coming back. Don't worry. Let's just ask ourselves this. What is more reasonable? There's, there's potentially two billion different types of organisms on the planet. Is it more reasonable to believe that sprouted from one thing that happened out of random chaos or that something created these different kinds that we observe today? I think the, 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 I think the evidence and the argument for intelligent design is exceptionally compelling. This doesn't even take into account the fossil record, which shows clearly a sudden rise of animal life. That's known as the Cambrian Explosion. You can go look that up. It, it doesn't show a slow evolutionary progression from amoeba to humankind. You don't see that in the fossil record. And, and, and Darwin himself said, if, if the fossil record doesn't support what I'm postulating here, then it's it's kind of done for. But uh, it's it's... I think for a lot of people, it's the best thing we've got. That is, that for some people, that escapes the implications of believing that this God created us, and so they're, they're running with it. Um, and that's that's really sad. Uh, the diversity of biological life is, is compelling evidence that we were created by an intelligent designer. But what really shows that designer's fingerprints is the complexity. Of living organisms. So the diversity of biological life, I think, is one strong indicator that we probably didn't all come from one single-celled organism. But on the other side, you've got the complexity of living organisms, which is different than diversity. It's, I think it's easy for us to take for granted the incredibly intricate meat machines that we call bodies, right? Um, when, we, uh, when we think about it, though, the human body really is a wonder to behold. Uh, the latest estimates, and remember from earlier, uh, the scientific estimates often change. But this is the latest estimates with supercomputers and whatnot. The average human body is made up of 37.2 trillion cells. 37.2 trillion cells. To, and that doesn't sound real. All of us probably listen to the news, and we hear that you know trillions of dollars are floating around here and there. So we get numb to these numbers, and we don't. I don't even know if we have a way to conceive of how big of a number that is. 37 trillion, if you were going to try to count, uh, just take this into into consideration. If you tried to count to 1 trillion, it would take you 450,000 years. If you just started right now, 1, 2, 3, 4, and you just kept going, you wouldn't get to 1 trillion for 450,000 years. Now take that times 37. Now we're outside of my math purview. However, that's a big number is my point. And that's how many cells are in the average human body. And when, when my man Charles Darwin was looking at cells in his microscope, he didn't have electron microscope. So you can't fault him for this, but when he put the little thing between the, the glass plates and he was looking at it, that cell just looked like a little glob of jelly kind of squishing around. What we understand now is every one of those 37.2 trillion cells is an incredibly intricate little micro-machine with different parts operating, and each one is programmed with DNA to do a different job within the body. These aren't just some simple little blobs that all come together to make us. They're incredibly complex, even all the way down at that basically irreducibly small level. We've got information stored in those cells telling it to be a skin cell or a hair cell or whatever it is. It's amazing. 37.2 37.2 trillion of those in the average body. Uh, so you could understand that may- maybe for Darwin, w- when all it looked like was that little blob, well, yeah, that, that could have maybe happened by accident. But once you can get an electron microscope and look down into that cell and understand, whoa, there's mitochondria and there- there's a cell wall, there's a nucleus, there's all this stuff going on, man, and all of this is working together in concert to make this thing happen, it, it starts to become a little more ridiculous for that to be the assumption you come to. Still talking about the complexity of life, you got all those cells, you have 10 different systems at least working together in concert right now to keep you upright and alive while you're sitting there listening to me preach. You're not even doing anything. I'm doing all the work, but it's taking 10 systems for you to do what you're doing right now. You've got your respiratory system, right, which is allowing you to breathe, bring in oxygen. Your digestive system's working right now. Messing, you know, chopping up whatever you ate for lunch. I hope it was salad-based. Okay? Amen. Your cardiovascular system, right? That's, your, that's moving your blood through your body, taking nutrients to the muscles, moving oxygen through. You got your urinary system. Uh, hopefully, you took care of that before you came in here. Um, we're adults. Endocrine system, right, is pumping different chemicals that send signals so that your body works together at different times through your thyroid and things of that nature. Got your nervous system, which is allows you to perceive what's going on. That's how you feel. It's how your uh, brain sends signals to the rest of your body to make stuff happen. So your nervous system's working right now. You got a skeletal system that's keeping you up right so you're not in a puddle on the pew there, right? Praise God for your skeleton. When's the last time you thanked Jesus for your skeleton? It's probably been a while. <laughs> Ungrateful people. The exocrine system. Right? That's your skin, hair. Thank God we got that. This would be a weird crowd without skin. But all the stuff on the outside protecting you. Got your immune system fighting off infections, bacteria and viruses. And uh, lastly, you got your reproductive system, which hopefully you're not using in here ever. Uh, <laughs> but that is there. And uh, that's the miracle that God built into us to be able to fill the earth and multiply. So uh, you got... There's roughly 37 trillion cells chugging along, doing their thing. You've got 10 different systems working together right now, all happening. Your body's incredibly complex, man. This is, it's, it's not a simple thing. Um, and and it, it starts to get ridiculous to think something this complex that fits together this well, all of that working together just, just happened. It very much looks like somebody very, very smart built it. Is is what it looks like. And um, I was a youth pastor for eight years, and uh, so I have lots of object lessons, and I don't use them very often. But I brought something tonight that I think is really helpful uh, along these lines. And so I'm going to step through this door. I know this is weird for all of you. He doesn't ever do this. I'll be right back. It won't be weird, I promise. I put it back here because... Human attention spans are devolving, not evolving, so. All right, so here's what we have. You guys have probably heard a idea floated that, um, and it's somebody kind of arguing along these lines, if you were walking along outside and you found a Rolex on the ground, uh, what would your assumption about that be, right? You find this incredibly complex piece of machinery, very finely tuned to do a job, would your assumption about that Rolex you found on the ground be that uh, through random processes it just self-assembled, or would you think that somebody made that Rolex? And this is something that uh, the Lord showed me years ago, and I think it, it bolsters the argument because I think, you know, for some people the the jump from body to Rolex is a little bit is a little bit of a disconnect. But I, I want to ask you this. So here's here's what I have. I have this two-by-four, and I have this two-by-four, and I have a single nail, okay? So that is three parts, about as simple as it could possibly get, okay? And so I'm going take the incredible risk of putting these together right now. <gasps> Are you nervous? Don't be nervous. I'm going to lose my man card if I can't do this right in front of everybody. That was the risk I took, though. Okay. Ready? Done. No clap, no nothing. <laughs> I'm teach you guys how to church, man. I don't know. The deal is. Okay. So now what do I have? I have something that resembles uh, a wooden cross, something maybe you would see along a roadside or see uh, maybe even, I've, I've been hiking before and come upon uh, old cemeteries and stuff. So here's my question. Yeah, if, obviously if you come across a, a Rolex, you're going to assume that was made. And the argument is the human body is is immeasurably more complex than a Rolex. But I want to make that point down to, I want to grind that point all the way down to a nub with this right here. Here's what I want to ask you. If you were hiking in the woods and you stumbled upon this, this three-part creation that I just made with two boards and a nail, what would your assumption be? Would your assumption be that At some point, there was an earthquake that split some pine trees exactly into two-by-fours, and then simultaneously, a volcano exploded. Some iron ore shot out, creating a nail that then drove itself through the two-by-four and created it. You can't get much simpler than this, right? But are you telling me that you can't imagine this self-assembling out in the woods through some natural process? You can't even stretch your imagination to believe that? that? This ain't that big of a deal. So why... Would you ever let somebody make you feel dumb for thinking God created our bodies, or this incredibly complex planet that sustains the biological life that is infinitely more complex than my two-by-fours here? That makes sense? Now, uh, if you want, I can pre-cut you some two-by-fours and send you with some nails, and you can start doing this with your friends. OK Hold on, let me get my hammer. Amen. That's real simple, and I'd never believe it did. By, it came together by itself. How do we look at the wonder of God's creation, from biological life to the environment He created for us, and, and come to that conclusion? It, it's 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 kind of mind boggling when you put it in those terms. The question is, uh, what is more reasonable to believe? What is reasonable, right? We, we gotta. We, I, I want us to be nuanced, intelligent, love-filled people when we talk, and I don't want us to sound stupid. We, we don't want to talk in terms of proving. I can't prove that God created the heavens and the earth, but I can show you reasonable evidence that if a reasonable person were to take in that evidence, they would come to a reasonable conclusion. That's what we're talking about. What's most reasonable? That's the lane we want to stay in. Friends, if I, as I've said before, none of this proves that our God is the one who created the universe and all the life in it, but it does show that you don't have to be a simpleton to believe that he did. Uh, Romans 1.20 tells us, the creation declares the glory of God, and it, it really does, if you think about it, if you take a look around, the creation does declare the glory of God. Uh, but this is not the only evidence we have that the Bible is telling the truth. Right, Because the Bible doesn't just answer the question of origins I told you about earlier. It gives us the most clear-eyed view of the rest of those questions that we talked about. Morality, meaning, and destiny. Look at verse 26 with me again, would you please? Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, the Bible provides for us the most clear-eyed view of origins. Where did we come from? Of meaning. What is our purpose? Our purpose is we were created in God's image to rule in his stead, to obey him and serve him and enjoy him forever. That's our meaning. Our morality flows from his very character and nature, his goodness and his mercy and his great love for us. That that is what answers for us the question of morality. And it's very interesting that this, this... image language that God said, let us make man in our image, it comes up again later in the scriptures and that speaks to the destiny God has in mind for us. Romans 8.29 says that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so God's original vision for us, his great hope is that we would, he, he would make us in his image, that we would bear and reflect his good character. We mess that up. We're going to hit that here in the next few chapters. We sinned. That that image God gave us, that perfect reflection of him, it was marred and it was stained by sin. But it's beautiful for us to see that really what God's doing in, in his redemptive arc is he's, we're, we, we are heading forward to a beautiful future that he's laid out for us, but really in a lot of ways we're returning back. You see Romans 8.29 says he's conforming us into the image of his son. God's original vision was that we would be made in his image, and he wants us to return to reflecting in that beautiful way that we did originally before sin of reflecting his image. So yes, we are moving to a a destiny of uh, uninhibited relationship with him, but wasn't that what he designed us for at the beginning? You see, this arc kind of comes back on itself, and all of this story ties together. Genesis just gets the thing kicked off, but the entire Bible is really about one thing. It's about God's desire to have a people unto himself, and it shows the lengths he's willing to go to to have that, that he would create us, that we would betray him, and that he would instantly go into this beautiful plan of redemption. We we trace it through the patriarchs, through the judges and the kings, the time of the exile, the birth of Christ. All of it goes together, dear friends, and what the Bible is telling us is God's story, which he has made our story, and it's the story of his vision being fulfilled, and that's us and him forever. That's what he wants. That's what he's working towards, and he's invited us to join him in working toward that end, not just in our own pursuit of holiness in our lives personally, but also in proclaiming the good news of the gospel to those who are deceived in various ways, and doing that in love. I praise God for the beautiful truth that though we have sinned, King Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't, died the death that we should have, and rose from the grave. God didn't just have a plan. He walked it all the way out. Everything he said was going to happen has happened, and everything he's declared will come to pass. My question to you today, dear friend, is have you trusted in that good gospel message? Have you acknowledged that your sin is the reason why Christ had to come? Do you understand that you are not perfect and that God is, and that creates distance between us and him, but that he didn't abandon you that way, that he's built a bridge and he's made a way through Christ that you can come to him, and he's not asked you to be perfect. He's not asked you to uh, somehow earn your righteousness. He's asked one thing from you. Will you believe me? Will you trust me? He's given us so many reasons, friends, from the beauty the complexity, the diversity of creation to his faithfulness throughout his plan of redemption. He's given us all of the evidence we need that he is a good and a faithful and a trustworthy God. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Praise God that if you will today, the Bible says you can go from darkness to light, from death to life, from slave to free. And that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus may we be a people that passionately seek for truth. May we be a people who love those that disagree with us. And may we rejoice in the diversity and complexity and beauty of all that God has made for his glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you For the second half of the first chapter of Genesis, thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word. Thank you, Lord, that it reveals to us who you are, how mighty and powerful, how creative you are, how worthy you are to be worshiped and to, Lord, your word, it creates for us a a sense of safety that we can surrender to you and know that it's going to be okay. Somebody so mighty as you that can create all that we see by the power of your words. Somebody that's got the vision for that somebody with the love and the motivation to create. Lord, you can be trusted. You are worthy for us to submit our lives to you. Lord, help us to do what Romans says and for our lives to be a living sacrifice. We thank you. You don't call us uh, to, to die in your name, but you call us to live for your glory. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do that well. Help us to be in constant awe of all that you've made. Help us, Lord, to be thankful for the bodies you've given us to take care of them well, to understand how marvelous and miraculous your creation really is. Help us to see the beauty and the diversity of biological life. Lord, everywhere we look, when we see a bird fly, a squirrel scurry up a tree, God, may we, may we not come to the place where those are just common things for us, Lord, but may we stay constantly in a place of awe as we should. May we be able to really believe in, and may, may it resonate with us that Romans 1.20 says that the creation declares Your might and your glory and your power. Lord, thank you for all that you've made. Thank you that you've made us. And thank you that you've let us be a part of your story. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We exalt you. You're the only one worthy. And we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio.